the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back as we head into our second hour of our daily three-hour tour. It is a delight to bring back to the show Bethany Mandel. She um, she embodies to me what George Eliot, the novelist, was talking about when she wrote that it's important in this day that we push back as hard against the age as pushes against us. You can follow her on Twitter at Bethany Sean Dark. She is a contributing writer at Deseret, uh, the, the newspaper out of Utah. And she is an editor and contributor to the Heroes of Liberty Project. You can follow her on Ricochet. Bethany, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You betcha. You betcha. I initially called to ask you uh, for some thoughts on the Whoopi Goldberg controversy, and we'll start there. But I have just uh, discovered what you've done with John Wayne, and I love it. And if you have a moment oh. or two, I'd like to talk about that too. Can we can we oh, can we reserve a absolutely. moment or bookmark that for a second absolutely. and get back to it, Bethany? I was um, uh, I don't know. We want we run out of adjectives for these things. I'll just start this way. Uh, since Barry Goldwater ran for president, Republicans have been told that they have had Mein Kampf as their bible and white supremacy as their ethos. It included Nixon, it included Reagan, it included Bush, and certainly we know it included Donald J. Trump as well. Surprising then to see Whoopi Goldberg say that all of that talk about um, Hitler, Nazism, and white supremacy, you can't pin that on Hitler after all. He wasn't a white yeah. supremacist. Uh, it was just a, a simple man's inhumanity towards man. She uh, she made Hitler, um, pardon the expression, a little bit more kosher, seems to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was basically like she was using his talking points. So, I mean, th- this is where we are in 2022. And um, what was really flabbergasting to me wasn't actually her apo- – like, I-, I found her apology to-, to be palatable for what it was. But uh, the ADL, the yeah. the, um, yeah. the league against sort of anti-Semitism and this, this group that was started to to, to stop anti-Semitism and the spread of anti-Semitism and the, and the proliferation of it, um, has really become infected by wokeism. It's run by uh, Jonathan Greenblatt, who's you know he's he used to work for the Obama administration and he's never seen anti-Semitism on the left. <laughs> it's, you know, not for a lack of, uh, not for a lack of it. It's just a lack of him looking for it. And he, um, he went, um, he went on the show this morning and said, you know, the, the, what we're seeing at these school board meetings and, you know, this is, this is part and parcel. It's really disturbing. And he basically just sort of tried to pin all of the um, all of the statements that will be made and just sort of turn it around onto um, onto Republicans. Mm-hmm. And Joy Joy Baker did the same thing. Mm-hmm. She talked about Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> during the apology segment about Whoopi Goldberg. Yes, 
Yes. You're right to bring up the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. It once upon a time did have some bragging rights on getting us through some tough moments in bigotry and civil rights in America, starting with anti-Semitism and then working on issues having to do with other minorities. About a week ago, they officially redefined racism. No doubt you saw this, right? Where uh, racism can only be against minorities if inflicted upon them by white institutions. And it dawns on me they now need to take down their page on Louis Farrakhan. They now need to take their page down on an awful lot of people. And they have surrendered. I mean, someone on Twitter, I don't remember who said it's uh, when they pointed out to this redefinition by the ADL, which is in perfect concert with the Progressive Caucus in America. That's exactly what yep. what the Progressive Caucus is all about. It's not it's not any definition of racism anyone knew until about a week ago or a year <laughs> ago. Right. But yep. this is the end of an organization in real life, in real time before our very eyes, isn't it? Yeah, no, and it's really disturbing. It's something that my, my husband has covered extensively in the pages of Commentary Magazine, yep. where right. he, he used to be an editor, and he um, he now sort of writes for the mag. But, I mean, he, he wrote sort of the ultimate. My husband's name is Seth Mandel, and if you just Google Seth Mandel, ADL, Commentary Magazine, he wrote the ultimate takedown of the ADL. And uh, he's, he's due for a, to a round two, let me tell you that, because how they've beclowned themselves over the last, a uh, couple months has really just evaporated any public trust that one might have once had in that really just incredible institution that um, Greenblatt has just um, thrashed beyond recognition. The one of the things I mean, you're 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 in the media, you're in D.C. You can maybe help me understand this, uh, Bethany. We're talking to Bethany Mandel. Bethany, maybe you can help me understand this. Whoopi says this thing yesterday on ABC. Clearly catching the rest of the panelists off guard. They don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, they don't know yeah, whether to yeah. whether to stand up for common sense and history or to protect their friend and their jobs. And mm-hmm. I can imagine after the show, Whoopi going back to the whatever her her green her her green room or, or makeup room or whatever, and her staff's hair on fire over what transpired. I can imagine that. So then six hours passes, and she goes on the Stephen Colbert show, and she doubles down on it. Doubles down. Yeah. Does she know, as a member of the woke, that no one will ever touch her? She can do whatever she wants. Because I, I did see so, the retraction this morning. It looked pained. Yeah. Pained as if it wasn't serious in a sense. Like she no, just no. had to mouth the words to get her clean across the line. So I think that you overestimate <laughs> how much. I mean, I think you overestimate a lot. And okay. like, it's kind of like, bless your heart. God bless you. Like, bless your heart. You think her producers had their hair on fire. Oh. I'm sure that they didn't. I'm sure okay. that they had. I mean, if you kind of look at how um, everyone at the View used to think about Meghan McCain, right? They used to like think of her as the Jew lover. Right. She was the anomaly. Right. And you know, the Jew lover is gone. Yeah. And her producer, who is wonderful, um, Daniela Greenbaum Davis, who obviously, I mean, you can tell from her name, she's Jewish also. Um, she's gone too. So, like, how many people at at ABC and at, particularly at the View sort of had in mind the importance of sort of not not mouthing Hitler's talking points? I don't know how many do. And so she, and especially, I mean, if you kind of look at all of the, which I do because I'm friends with Meg McCain, if you look at all of the 
coverage of her time at The View, and if you read her book about it, um, Bad Republican, it's on Audible, you you hear that, like, it's just a lion's den. Yeah. And I'm sure that no one wanted to say something to her. And so it's kind of like the emperor has no clothes. Mm. I doubt anyone said anything to Whoopi. And if she didn't log on to Twitter, she probably didn't see it and was content with repeating the same stuff. On the on the late show because she like she didn't hear anything and then she kind of <laughs> got a call from producers who are more present on Twitter and they're like yeah we really can't let that stand sorry we're gonna have to say something and then at that point she had to say something but um, I I mean this is this is an ongoing problem in in media um, one one of my favorite examples is um, the the book about anti semitism that a New York Times reporter wrote, um, gosh, I'm totally blanking on his name, and he, but he wrote a book about anti-Semitism because people were mean to him on the Internet during the first um, Trump election. Uh-huh. And he wrote, he wrote a book about anti-Semitism called Semitism okay. that, uh, that was anti like it, 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 it portrayed or- Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn as sort of knuckle-dragging imbeciles. Right, and right. Employed- oh, oh, you're thinking of Jonathan Weissman, I think. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, okay. And he, he employed anti-Semitic talking points in his book called Semitism. Right. And, like, right. no one in the publishing house thought to be like, yo, this is, like, not a great depiction of Jews, buddy. Because none of them none of them see it that way, and none of them really care. That's a interest. Okay, so it leads me to an interesting place, Bethany, um, which is this. I don't like victimology. I gather you don't either. Most of us don't. We don't like to get caught up in, into the who's the bigger victim game in this country or in this world. But it is hard to notice for those of us that were brought up with teachings about civil rights and, 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 and a sense of history that there's something about anti-Semitism in this country that has received a lot more countenance and a lot less negative uh, press than it otherwise should have. Are you picking up on some of that? So, I mean, I think a lot of it is just ignorance about Jews and about Jewish history. And 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 Whoopi kind of um, Whoopi kind of highlighted that ignorance. And so, you know, one of the things that not many people know about, sort of in the mainstream, is the um, is the uh, the refugee status of millions of Jews who were ejected from um, Arab lands in right, North Africa. Right, right. Like, the state of yeah. Israel was born. Yeah. And, like, no one talks about those refugees. No, that's right. And if you if you knew that story, then you would never posit that Jews are all white because yeah. they're all from North Africa. Yeah, no, it's a good point. The majority of Israel is not white. Uh, the majority yeah, of Jewish yeah. Israel is not white. I have to take a quick break. Do you have time to stick around just a little bit for one more segment? I'd love to do John Wayne with you if you do. I'd I'd love to. Oh, I'd love to have you. Thank you. Bethany Mandel is our guest. She is a contributing writer at Desert. She is an editor and contributor to the Heroes of Liberty Project, a writer at Ricochet. You can follow her on social media at Bethany Shondark. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. Bethany Mandel is our guest. You can follow her on Twitter at Bethany Sean Dark or 
go to heroesofliberty.com to see her latest project, which I want to talk to you about, Bethany. You um, Tell us about Heroes of Liberty and tell us about this fantastic-looking – I just ordered it – new book on John Wayne that you guys have put together. Thank you so much. So thank you for ordering. Um, so they are uh, – it's a, it's a series of biographical books written for children between the ages of like probably 7 to 12, I would say. Uh-huh. And uh, our first four books are John Wayne, which came out this month, Ronald Reagan, Amy Coney Barrett, and Thomas Sowell. Perfect. And I, 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 took, a, I took a stroll through Barnes & Noble today <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for a different project. And I was kind of like looking on the shelves, and I was like, God, this is why we needed Heroes of Liberty. All of the books are, you know, A for activist, anti-racist baby. There's biogra- there's a million biographies of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which yep. is why we did Amy Coney Barrett. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing, um, there's nothing that really, first of all, highlights the people that we want our kids to know, but more importantly, highlights the, the morals that we want our kids to know and the kinds of people that we want our kids to be. And so um, with with the John Wayne book, we were kind of looking at the the way that we're talking to boys and about boys about manhood, and it's not good <laughs> how we how we sort of teach teach young boys about what it is to be a man and young girls also. Yep. Um, it's filled with a lot of uh, a lot of negative and that a lot of negative messages. Don't be this. Don't be that. Men are this. Men are that. And there's not sort of an affirmative positive view of like this is what it means to be a man with honor and integrity and that was something that we found um that john wayne really um epitomized in a lot of ways and so we wanted to sort of introduce him and his canon of work to children but also what he stood for i'm so glad you're doing that and focusing on the children um because i was just thinking the other day when you think about what Police are going through their their low the, the mm-hmm. low morale that is that is you know taken yep. hold of that institution. Um, you know, a generation ago, but not since, one of the most popular games boys would play, young boys would play, is cops and robbers. Then I mm-hmm. found headlines yeah. beginning in 2015: nursery school bans cops and robbers. Uh, another thing young boys wanted to be were cowboys. And then I yeah. saw, oh, I don't know, six months ago, Maxine Waters and Kamala Harris condemning cowboys on the southern border for engaging in kind of crime. But the word, the way they used the word cowboy was its own pejorative. It had become a pejorative yeah. in their utterances. And I think we're a worse country because of it uh, in both counts. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, this was this was the the Wild West. And, you know, if you think about sort of what we're teaching children about sort of victimhood and victimology and uh, safe spaces and all of those things, can you imagine any of the people on any of these college campuses demanding a safe space stepping off of a, a, a boat uh, into American soil and trying to forge out west with demanding a safe space? Yeah, right. It's, it's laughable. That's right. And, you know, the reason that we are the strongest, most incredible country that the world has ever known is is because of people like John, John Wayne, yep. it's not because of people like Kamala Harris. Now, there is the, do you see glimmers of hope? I don't – if the references don't mean anything to you, but I suspect they might – uh, do you see glimmers of hope with the popularity of shows like 1883 and Yellowstone? Is there maybe a natural reserve or remnant in the culture that's coming back to some of these martial virtues, if you will? I think 
So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of reasons to hope. And if, if you know, I, so I, I've been doing a lot of deep dives into the children's book industry mm-hmm. in general for a different project. Okay. And boy, oh boy, it's disturbing. And yeah. I think that they're sort of, they've, they've realized that they can't necessarily turn the 20-year-olds or right. the 15-year-olds right. or the or the 30-year-olds, right. people in my age bracket. Right. And so they're like, you know what we should do? And it's, it's right out of the communist playbook. Yep. Let's go after the kids. Yep. And, and not just let's go after the kids um, and teach them about, you know, toxic masculinity or whatever, but completely upend their perception of what it what it means to be a human being yes. and a man and a woman. Yes. And when they completely uproot every uh, sort of sense of root for children, uh, anything they could possibly understand, then that that's how they think that they'll be able to um, to brainwash the next generation. And um, and these books are, you know, a small but really powerful way of sending a message to kids about like manhood is is a good thing. It's good to be a man. It's good to be a man of honor. And, um, and you know, all of our books have different messages. And so the Amy Coney Barrett book is my eight-year-old daughter's favorite because she loves to read about a, a really successful woman who's reached the pinnacle of her professional success while also being a mother, while yeah. also being a mother of a large family. That, that's a message yeah. that young girls are not getting now either. No, no. Good for you. You'd mentioned your husband's affiliation with Commentary Magazine. It makes me think of the story Norman, Norman Podhoritz uh, used to tell or told once about Allen Ginsberg um, and he having a discussion, Norman not buying what Allen Ginsberg was selling and Allen walking out saying, well, we'll get you through your children. He didn't get yep. Norman's children, but he got an awful lot of children and grandchildren. <laughs> the left understood yeah. this, and we didn't, don't you think? They understood yep. go for yep. the five-year-olds, right? Yep, and that's what they're doing. I mean, if you if you walk into a bookstore now, look at the shelves. Yep. It's disturbing. It's really disturbing. And, it, and it's not just the bookstores. It's the library yep. shelves. Yep. And it's the books that your kids teachers are reading. Yep. Uh, there's so much There's so much damage to be undone and... You know, the, the fight for schools is something that we all need to be fighting, even if we don't have kids in schools. Um, but this is a way that parents can sort of take back the, their kids' minds, you know, the 15 minutes right before bedtime and have them close their eyes and dream about Amy Coney Barrett and John Wayne th- and, and not, not A for activists. I think that's fantastic, Bethany. I, um, I was reading an old Hannah Arendt essay uh, from the 50s talking about have we reached a point – she's saying this in the 50s – have we reached the point where we are going to have adult political battles being played out on the playgrounds of our schools and oh, our 100%. children? And it dawns on me, you know, with your work on masks and children, your work on this, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing the right thing at the right time, Bethany. Yep. So God thank speak you. to you. God love you for doing it. And really, thank you thank for you. all of that. But thank you for being here too. And hopefully we can stay in close touch on this stuff. That would be great. And folks can get them at heroesofliberty.com. Yeah, let me give that website out again, heroesofliberty.com. Children's books from all the people you would want your children to read about. Thomas Sowell, Amy Coney Barrett, Ronald Reagan, John Wayne, Alexander Hamilton, Margaret Thatcher. We call that a good start, right, Bethany? Yep, and that's just the start. Yep, a good <laughs> we start. We got a subscription plan. <laughs> com. Bethany Mandel. Thank you, Bethany. Really appreciate your work Thank here. you so much, Jeff. I appreciate you it. You betcha. My pleasure, my honor, my privilege. And what's fun about that site, not fun, but uh, good about that site, is they start with that quote from Ronald Reagan about freedom never being more than one generation away from extinction that I think we platitudinally state too much without thinking about the implications 
one generation. Think about it, folks, 30 years. And think about, too, if you're in earshot here in Phoenix, first time Ronald Reagan ever said that was in Phoenix in 1961. We should protect it. We should nurture it and hand it on down to the children to do the same. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios here in Phoenix. A lot – I don't know. Do, do, do many of you watch C-SPAN? I don't know uh, um, how, how much that's watched anymore. I remember watching it a lot in the 90s and early aughts. Uh, maybe it was just because of the profession I was professions I was in or maybe because there was a lack of other great programming or maybe because it was just that my heroes have always been dorks. <laughs> I don't know. But it would be hard to get this if you didn't follow Ted Cruz on social media. This might be one of the most really important indicators, cultural indicators of failure in our entire, I was going to say legal system, but really education system. And it transpired uh, earlier today. The Judiciary Committee in the Senate was uh, interviewing, engaging in their advice and consent role on a nominee of President Biden's to be a federal district judge in California. So Joe Biden nominated this magistrate named Kenley Kiyokato to be a federal district judge in California. Big job, important job. And the Senate gets to, you know, advise and consent, which means ask questions and vote yay or nay. I just want you to listen to what transpired here for a moment, would you? I want to start with you. Is racial discrimination wrong? Senator, our Constitution prohibits race discrimination, discrimination on the basis of race. Okay, let me ask again, is racial discrimination wrong? Senator, as a judge, I I, I don't um, deal with issues of morality or whether something... You have no views on whether it's right or wrong? Senator, because that is an issue that is frequently litigated before the courts, pursuant to Canon 3 of the Code of Conduct. Okay, so why does the Constitution prohibit racial discrimination? Can I pause it right there? I know I hate to interrupt this line of questioning, but I hope everyone just saw that act of leisure domain, that sleight of hand, Kenley Kiyokato, the nominee to be a federal judge, engaged in. She said, Senator, I don't deal as a judge with issues of morality. And then he asked her again and she said, because there's a case that could come before me under the canons, I can't answer it. Well, which is it? Do you not deal with these things as a judge or are you worried that you may have to? You don't get both here. X and not X can't both be true to get you out of this question. And by the way, how hard would it be to say discrimination is wrong? Anyway, listen to the ongoing questioning. Senator, I I think it's part of our Constitution and this nation's history of aiming for equal justice and uh, treating people 
regardless of any protected class status, equally and fairly. So discriminating based on race violates, I think you just said, our Constitution's history of aiming for justice. Is that a fair characterization? Senator... Why is this hard? Case law, uh, if you're talking about race discrimination under the law, yes, pursuant to Supreme Court precedent, uh, race discrimination under the law is prohibited. So you and I are both... Can you Judge can you Cotto. begin to understand that that answer when he's asking her is discrimination wrong and all she can say is based on Supreme Court precedent? She can't get to the nub of it. She can't get to the root of it. So race discrimination to her would have been correct and right and morally um, uh, mo- morally justified. In 1857, after the Dred Scott case, because the Supreme Court took a dive on this, or it would have been right at the beginning of the 20th century because Plessy versus Ferguson took a dive on this. Why is it she chokes on saying discrimination is morally wrong? And that's the reason it's barred by the 14th Amendment and the series of Civil Rights Act that were passed subsequent to the Civil War and in the 1960s. It's a denial of any moral foundation of constitutionalism that this well-educated judge, a probably about to be nominated, uh, approved to be on the federal bench, herself has taken a dive on. This is not a problem just in the legal profession. This is a problem in the entire education system of America. We do not teach the moral foundations of our Constitution, and that is why our Constitution can be on the chopping block in the hands and the minds and the throats of the progressives. Be afraid. I wonder if that um, I wonder if that nominee to the federal bench can. Tell us why she thinks chain gangs may be wrong. Is it just based on previous press? Anything the Supreme Court says goes. The other version of this is anything the majority says goes. And too many people believe that, particularly when they don't understand the nature of our Republican form of government or the founding itself. Uh, This was the heart, by the way, the heart of the debate between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, the Lincoln-Douglas debates of 1858. A lot of people just think, oh, these were two guys, one doing the Republican thing, one doing the Democrat thing. This was the heart of the debate. Does a majority have a right to do wrong merely because it's a majority? Was it just yesterday I think I was uh, citing my favorite – one of my favorite – passages from Exodus, not to follow a multitude to do evil. It's not just, it's not just in American history and constitutional tradition that we know majorities can be wrong. This has been ever thus, and that was the crux of the debate between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas. And that's why I am such a fan of uh, Professor Harry Jaffa's understanding of that. He was the first scholar to take those debates seriously. Majority rule in a free society is not an end in itself. Too many think that. 
Majority rule in a free society is not an end in itself, nor is it a source of the purposes served by free government. Majority rule exists to secure the rights which all human beings are endowed with by their creator. That's how we did this country. That's what our founders understood. The recognition of the origin of these rights, Harry Jaffa writes, in God and nature comes before any action of any majority. That's what the Declaration of Independence means when it speaks of the just powers of government. Not any powers, the just powers of government exist. Why? Not for any reason whatsoever the Supreme Court says or this know-nothing nominee to the federal bench says, but to secure the equal rights possessed by every human being, whether in the majority or minority. That's how tyranny can be prevented. And by the way, that's also at the heart of why Hitler and Nazism, which we spent our monologue talking about, were wrong. Robin, surprise. Thank you for your patience, sir. How are you? Well, I'm fine, Seth. How are you? I'm fine, sir. Yes, and I do uh, need to compliment you on your uh, monologue. Um, it, it sort of ties into what I wanted to uh, kind of talk about. Okay. Oh, but first, uh, you know, I remember Rick uh, from Phoenix yesterday calling Bill Bebop Bill. <laughs> and I just wondered, if, if is that going to mean that you're going to have some, you know, Thelonious Monk or Dizzy Gillespie or Max Roach or... No, no, it means I won't. I got an email (laughs) from a listener. I got an email from a listener the other day saying, your music stinks and I don't know how you can say Miles Davis was a terrible musician, but that's probably why your music stinks. And I said, well, I've never said Miles Davis was a terrible musician. I said he was a terrible trumpet player. And terrible is an overstatement. Not only that, I could say the same of Dizzy Gillespie, by the way. Well, yeah, good musician, not a great trumpet player. Well, and his cheeks had some issues too. There, don't you think? (laughs) Well, he he had evidently he had a car accident that in the fifties changed everything he did, and supposedly was quite the better player before that. But you know, just because he looked great uh, and had that weird looking horn and was famous in name. I mean, you ask any professional trumpet player if Miles Davis or Dizzy Gillespie or, for that matter, Herb Alpert, interestingly, some of the most famous trumpet players, if they were great trumpet players, they were not. They were good musicians. They were not great at their instrument. Well, yeah, and the great drummer Tony Williams, he used to play a lot with Miles Davis. In fact, I think he played on Bitches Brew with Miles. He used to to ask Miles, Miles, why don't you practice more? Yeah. Uh, And and he probably should have because Tony Williams, was an awesome drummer. Yeah. Passed away way too soon, and uh, should have uh, practiced more. Absolutely. And uh, I think he had just sort of a name that people thought was. Uh, yeah, they thought they were wrong if they didn't think it was good. What they were hearing, right? He's such a big well, famous well, yeah. name. Maybe I'm not getting it. You know, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. One thing, um, uh, the uh, this nominee that uh, went before, I guess, the Senate. Judiciary Committee. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about racial discrimination, uh, and obviously there was no real answer there. No. You know, I couldn't help. But, I couldn't help but think about uh, affirmative action and the Baki decision, and a lot of other things that were sort of based on race, and then all the name calling that seems to be going on 
these days with the Democrats and the Republicans. You know, a couple of examples are, I think there's some sort of a spice company in Wisconsin. Penzies. Came out Penzies, said, yeah. Penzies, yeah. yeah, in Wisconsin, no less. Yeah, but said, here, uh, but here, in Arizona, too. Stores here, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they said that uh, all, all Republicans are racist. Yep. And then, and then of course, you had uh, uh, the lovely and talented uh, Ms. Goldberg. Yep. Uh, isn't isn't that a Jewish name? <laughs> yeah, and typically it is. Typically it is. Yeah. You know. But but what we're dealing with here, I think, is um, one side does name calling uh, with no substance, with no uh, real depth of meaning. And unfortunately, they seem to be getting away with it because of the way the media covers it. Yes. And then we have sort of a, a weaker Republican side that doesn't respond aggressively enough to that kind of insulting behavior. This is a hugely important point. That second part of it is more important in some respects, meaning no disrespect to you, Rob. That second part is in some respects more important than the first because the left will do what the left will do, and we shouldn't be surprised when they do it. What we should be well, surprised no. about is the uh, weakness of the conservatives and the self-doubt and, in some respects, even uh, this uh, conservative Stockholm syndrome, which I've written about and spoken about, where we, we're just too timid and afraid to go here. Why should we be? Yeah. Why should we be? I'm we not too timid to elevate the Declaration of Independence and Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King. I'm not too yeah. – I, I have no problem doing that. Those are my heroes, and yeah. I will tell you why yep. any day you want to ask. Absolutely, and and that's why I think maybe, uh, you know, and this is sort of a revolutionary concept, maybe we need a Republican National Committee house cleaning, uh, and maybe even in the Arizona Republican uh, world, um, we need some, well, ex-Navy fighter pilots aren't known for being reticent or quiet or anything, and I think maybe what we need are people to call these name callers out yeah. and, and ask them, okay, you're basing this comment on all Republicans are racist, Nazis, white supremacists. Can you provide me a quote or yeah. an example? And that's the real crime Whoopi Goldberg engaged in because she took the benchmark of that. She took the benchmark, the, the example of that, the pole star of all of that, Adolf Hitler, and said he wasn't a white supremacist because it wasn't based on race. Leaving us with what? A cleansing and a, and, a, and a countenancing of Adolf Hitler's views, making him less toxic and less noxious? Well, then maybe when they call us those names, we can just cite to Whoopi Goldberg and say, well, if we're Hitler, we're not white supremacists. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. The Hallmans are on deck and will be in studio. We'll talk uh, a little bit about COVID and we'll talk a little bit about politics and probably a lot about uh, the philosophy in between those two. Um, I was listening to another show this morning um, that was getting into the whole issue of Joe Biden's other more famous nomination, that to replace Stephen Breyer on the U.S. Supreme Court. And this host was talking about mixed emotions because um, while Joe Biden reduced the category of legitimacy to um, picking a uh, African-American female to sit on the Supreme Court, 
he had made note that, you know, Reagan did that with Sandra Day O'Connor and um, Donald Trump did that with uh, Amy Barrett. And it's not quite right, actually. It's not quite right. It was not guaranteed in the same way they said among the firsts. And uh, on top of that, on top of that, there's a bigger lesson to draw. Hugh Hallman will be in. He may, he may have these memories or, 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 or he'll contradict them uh, and experience. But he was here, I think, as I was here. I was a little younger at the time. Obviously, I'm a little younger than Hugh. But he was here when Sandra Day O'Connor was nominated to the Supreme Court by Ronald Reagan. And I'll, we'll check and see if his memory is the same as mine. But my memory is pretty vivid on this, that there was a lot of criticism of her as a female affirmative action pick. By the way, when we're talking affirmative action choices, it's kind of odd to categorize half the population, uh, which is to say women, actually a little bit more than half the population, which is to say women when there was a traditionally female seat that started with Sandra Day O'Connor as part and parcel of narrowing it down not only by gender but now gender and race. It's a slightly different thing and we can get into that. But my memory is very vivid that Sandra Day O'Connor took a lot of heat, at least her reputation did, as did her nomination for being a choice of affirmative action. Now, she had good credentials educationally, but she didn't start off in the same position everyone else started off with by dint of the fact that everyone did actually know whether they wanted to say it or not that she was in fact chosen because she was a female. I'll give you an example. Again, Hugh Hallman may have a, a evidence to the contrary. I think I'm right though. I can't think of a Supreme Court justice in history who was selected from an appeals court in the state. Yes, appeals courts on the federal bench, that's a different animal. But a middle court in a state, I don't think that had ever been done before. And that harmed her first years, I think, and reputation going in. It's not a good thing to do to someone. What did Shelby Steele call it? Permanent mark of questionable competence. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com